Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why are 13-year-olds so much meaner to each other than 3-year-olds? Or when your kids are in kindergarten, they invite everyone to their birthday party. Why is it that 10 years later at 15, they only get along with five other kids? Why is there this great difference in cruelty between childhood, toddlerdom, and adolescence? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. When you are a little child, you don't really understand yet how social credit works. You don't understand that in order to be valuable to other people, you have to be good at things. And you also have to know how to understand what you're good at. This is, again, why it is that when you're five, if you ask Levi what he wants to be when he'll grow up, he'll tell you he wants to be an ophthalmologist and a pastor and a professional wrestler. You see what goes on uh, in our household, right? But you ask a kid who's a bit older, it's much harder for them to come up with even one thing because they figured out at that point what they're good at and what they're not. So they're also at this age, around you know, 13 or so, 12, when you start really becoming keenly aware of what it takes to be considered a good, valuable person. Adolescence is the age when you start to realize that your hands are pretty empty of the talents and the skills and the things that make you valuable to other people. You've learned at this point that in order to have value, you need to have something to offer someone else. You need to be able to hand them something. And it's at that age, unfortunately, for our adolescents here, when you also come to discover you're not really all that good at anything. You may be middle school good at things, but you're not really adult good at anything. That's why those middle school years are filled with bullying. You start to discover that if you can't really fill your hands with talents and abilities, the only way to really make yourself seem like your hands are fuller is to knock the gifts out of everybody else's hands. So that's when you have the unathletic, mocking the even more unathletic in middle school, a bunch of bumbly kids who can barely put a basketball into a hoop, mocking those who can't do it at all. Those are the years when you get the acne-ridden who are taunting the even more acne-ridden, C students bullying the D students. And in all of this, everyone is thinking, subconscious as it may be, I don't really have anything to offer anyone. I don't really have anything to make me a good person, but if I can convince these other people that, they are, that, that everyone around me has even less to offer, I'll look better by comparison. So the more I clothe my neighbor that I hate in cruelty, the more likely I am to win the approval from the neighbor that I love. At five, you don't really get that. That's why at five, everybody is your friend. But at 15, everybody's your competition. That's what happens when you grow older. And it's a bad habit that we keep up. I'm not convinced that we ever really grow out of it, although we do become a little bit better at concealing. So we get older and we still gossip about people and air our neighbor's dirty laundry to our friends. But we get a little bit, little bit better about saying that we're only sharing this because we're concerned for those people. But of course, it's not true. We're saying this because we want those who we think have approval to give to us to see that our hands are much fuller 
by comparison. We insist that when we see people doing acts of kindness, we always look for evil intent in them because we want to knock the holy things out of their hands to prove that our hands are actually fuller, that we are of more value and that we are therefore worthy of love and honor. And all of this we're just frantically trying to prove our worth by proving that we are worthier than the person next to us. Now, when we engage in that kind of behavior, people often describe it as juvenile. They'll say that we need to grow up. But that's really not quite right. As we heard in our Gospel text for today, what we actually need is to grow down. We need to become like little children. So, in our text for today, the disciples are once again arguing about which of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of earthly glory that they imagine Jesus is going to establish. And since they are human beings who share the same deceptions of our sinful nature and don't know how to distinguish how the world works from how Christ and his kingdom work, they are certain that, this is, that, this, that these positions of honor and glory are earned on account of their own merits. So they're all squabbling back and forth with each other, arguing about which of them has the most stuff to hand Jesus, which of their hands are the fullest. I've got strength, I've got devotion, I've got wisdom or tenacity, whatever it is, oratory skills that they might think they have, that's the debate. And so, each of them being unable to convince Jesus, unable to convince the other that of his superiority, they bring this dispute to Jesus and ask him to settle the matter. Which of us is the greatest? In other words, which of us has the most to offer them? Whose hands are the most full? And so, when Jesus grabs a little child and sets him in the midst of them, he is certainly rebuking his disciples, as these subsequent words make clear. He's telling them, your self-righteous quest to prove that you have something to offer the kingdom of God is only going to drive away the humble and the downtrodden, the lowly and the broken. Those who know that they have nothing to offer me will run away from me in despair and wander into condemnation if you tear each other apart trying to build up your own glory. So woe to those who take that path. When you face the wrath of God, you will wish you had been drowned in the depths of the sea before you ever scandalized one of my little ones. That's how serious this matter is to our Lord. Likewise, his words are also a warning to us. Through them, Jesus is essentially saying, you are a Christian. You are marked with my name, which means that everything you say and do to your neighbor is a confession to your neighbor about who I am. And when you belittle people and try to empty their hands so that you will look full, so that yours will look further, you are teaching them something wicked, something entirely contrary to my gospel. By telling them that you will only accept them if they have full hands, you're telling them that I will only accept them if they have full hands. That I only have love for those who have something to offer me, something with which to glorify me or honor me. Your lost or impressionable neighbors are little children who should be able to trust you to lead them to their father. 
as are the little children, the actual little children of your flocks. And you are driving them away if you do not repent. And if you don't repent, I will drive you into the depths of condemnation. So here we have a profoundly stern warning from Jesus about scandalizing the faith of his little ones. Warning that every Christian should remember to the core of our very souls. But at the same time, in the midst of this warning, Jesus is giving us a profound word of comfort just as he is showing us how we can be set free from this slavery of knocking things out of other people's hands. Because in his words about becoming like little children, Jesus is essentially saying to us, how do you think salvation works? Do you think this is about you offering me something? You having to prove something to me? You don't need to prove anything to me. You don't need to show me that you have anything to offer me, just as a father loves the infant son who has done nothing to honor him. So my Father in heaven loves those who have done nothing to honor him. Just as, my, just as a father will give up everything he has to the son who's done nothing for him in return, my Father is going to give up everything for those who are worthless and unaccomplished and utterly incapable of giving him one drop of glory. If you want to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, it's this little child who doesn't even know that his hands are supposed to be full of something. It's the one who doesn't consider his own greatness. It's the one who hungers only for the love of his father, the love he simply knows is going to be there because that's who his father is. That's the love my Father has for you, and that's the love I share, the love I have come to give you in my cross. I've come not to be the savior of useful ladder climbers. I've come to be the savior of useless little children with empty hands. So, are you useless and worthless? Have you failed to build up any righteousness to hand Jesus? Yes. Do you have no strength to add to his own? You certainly have no strength at all. Do you have any holiness to make the, perfect, to make the perfectly holy Son of God holier? No, you don't. Are you worried that you are a worthless sinner whose hands are completely empty of anything valuable but filled to the brim with only your wretched sins. Well then, yes, don't be worried. Because you are exactly the person you came, he came to save. Be at peace. Jesus didn't want your non-existent accomplishments. He didn't need your phantom earthly power or glory to build his kingdom. As God tells us in Psalm 50, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. 
the only thing Jesus wanted from you in order to build his kingdom was your sin. And he has already taken those away from you. At his cross, he claimed your transgression as his own. All your viciousness, all your cruelty, all your vain attempts to make yourself acceptable to the world by cutting down your neighbors. Jesus destroyed this all when he was cut down by you and for you. When he breathed his last upon the tree of condemnation that he transformed into the new tree of life. At the cross, Jesus emptied your hands of the only thing you had that he ever needed, your sins. And in that same moment, with that same death, Jesus filled your hands with everything he had come to give you. All the glory you couldn't manufacture, all the righteousness you couldn't earn. There, in his dying breath, he made those things your own forever. And when he rose again on the third day, he showed you that all of this was now true. On the third day, Jesus Christ opened your once empty hands and showed you that they were now full. Full of his kingdom. Full of his glory. Full of everything that he had built and won for you. Now, resting in the palm of your hands is the kingdom established with his nail-pierced hands. Now you hold all the righteousness of God as your eternal gift and your eternal possession. Now you can dig your fingers into the love of God that you could not earn, but that God was always going to give you in the blood of his Son. Everything. All of it. Each individual drop of salvation was now resting in your worthless hands that Jesus Christ made worthy of eternal life. You do not have a God that you need to impress, a God you need to win over. You do not have a God who is auditioning you for a middling place of honor in his kingdom. You have a Father who has adopted you into his kingdom of unfathomable, never-ending glory that he declares is now yours. A Father who invites you to feast with him forever and to take your place at that feast in the seat of honor. So, become like a little child. Become like an infant who never asks himself what he has to offer his father before he cries out for a body. Become like a three-year-old girl who firmly and fully believes that she is beautiful simply because her father tells her that. Become like a little child who doesn't look in his own hands before asking for everything that rests in his father's hands. Be at peace when you think of your God. And be at peace when you look at your neighbors. Through the lens of Jesus Christ, see them clearly. 
Your neighbors are neither the people giving out glory, nor the people competing with you to receive it. They are your fellow useless little children who have nothing to offer the God who has promised to give them everything in the blood of Christ. So don't hate them. Don't condemn them. Don't compete with them. Love them as your Father in heaven loves them. Cherish them as he cherishes them. See their hands as not something that are, that are not a thing that are competing with you. Not as hands that are full of competing virtues or talents or bits of righteousness. See their hands as the hands that God has called you to fill with his gifts of salvation and mercy. And all of this, point them with their empty hands to the eternally useful hands of Jesus Christ that make all who believe his brothers and yours. Together, as little children who have nothing to offer God, run into the arms of the God who has given you everything and always will. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.